God saying to us this morning? Because there's nowhere else in the world that God speaks as He speaks in the Bible. So let's open the text, friends, and let's get into it this morning. Amen? So let me read for you Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, with, uh, to, to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. Amen. Would you pray with me for God's help this morning? Let's pray. Oh God. We come to you this morning, Lord, confessing that we need you. And we need to hear from you. We are weak within, and we are at war without. So please, would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you take the words you inspired in this Bible and illuminate them in our minds and in our hearts? Would you grant me to preach your word with clarity and power? Bless our time this morning, I pray. And make it effective. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, according to our passage this morning that we just read, we're in the midst of a cosmic battle. We've been hearing about this the last few weeks. And this battle isn't just out there somewhere in the world, but it takes place in the midst of our friendships, in the midst of our workplaces, even in the midst of our very homes. Now, look, many of you know my family. I love my family so much, and I'm so thankful for my two precious little girls that God has given my wife and I, and and by His grace, they're generally pretty healthy and a true joy to be around, but just like every other family, there are some days that are just tough. To give you a a purely hypothetical example of this, (laughs) of this battle taking place in our homes, let's just say I'm on the way home from work one day, and I'm tired. As I approach the door to my apartment, all of a sudden, strangely, all I want to do is sit down and relax and be by myself for a little while. Seems reasonable, right? But as I unlock the door, before it's even opened all the way, I can hear the wailing, thankfully infrequent, of my two-year-old. Yep, 
It's been one of those days where her solution to everything is just to respond by throwing a fit. And then the door opens a little further, and I see my almost four-month-old, and she's crying because she's teething. Can't stop her. And then I see my wife holding her. Oh, yeah. It's been a long day. And she's walking towards me with that get in here and get to work look on her face. (laughs) Oh, friends, the battle rages in places that we don't often think of as the battlefield. We ourselves are participants in the battle. Whether we realize it or not, we are at war. If you're a Christian, you have no option. You are in a battle. And so Paul's call to the Ephesians in this passage, and God's call to us this morning, is that we would wake up to the battle that we find ourselves in, that we would fight, that we would wage war. And so I believe the main point of our passage this morning, if you'll put it up on the screen, is that, we, is that God is calling us to stand and fight in his strength, to stand and fight in God's strength. But listen, I'm aware that even as we talk about this battle and read this passage, that it lands on, on all of you in many different ways. You know, some of you are here and you're painfully aware of this battle. You grieve it and you're fighting You may even have the battle wounds to prove it. You're experiencing the battle fatigue. Friend, I believe there's grace for you in this passage this morning. There's grace for you here. And others of you, you may not think much about the battle. You know what's going on out there in the world or in the spiritual realm, but but you don't give it much thought on a daily basis. You may even be a little indifferent. And friend, I believe that God has a gracious message for you as well this morning. He's calling all of us to stand and to fight in his strength. So let's look at point one, verses 10 through 13. Point one, the war. So if you'll read with me in verse 10, it says the following. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. So finally, Paul says, as he lays down this awesome verse and he launches into what is the the conclusion and the culmination of this book of Ephesians. It's fascinating what he finishes here with. Because here in this passage, his language changes. You see, in the past few chapters that we've been looking at in Ephesians, he's been exhorting them to live a certain kind of life and to walk a certain type of path. But then here, he moves, he changes his language, and he begins to talk of war, to talk of standing, to talk of battle. So why does he do that? Why does he suddenly shift gears here at the end? Well, I believe that the reason he does so is that he's finally bringing to the fore what he's been hinting at all along, that this life that we've been given in Christ And this Christian life that we are to live out, it now takes place in the midst of a cosmic battle and a relentless struggle against evil. And the only way that we are going to be able to fight this battle and continue walking down this path is through the strength that God provides. So Paul wants these Ephesians and God wants us to be strong here in verse 10. 
And this command has more of a passive idea, wherein we're not to so much make ourselves strong as we are to be strengthened by something. And that something is the Lord. We're to be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. God is who we are to be strengthened in. His gracious power toward us in Christ is where our power is to come from. But friends, we're not to find strength within ourselves or make ourselves strong. Our true power for the battle that Paul is about to tell us about, it must come from outside of us. It must come from the Lord. And just in case anyone was wondering, well, why would God give me any power? Or his power just seems unavailable. God's clear statement here and throughout the book of Ephesians is that his power is utterly available to you. It was demonstrated most clearly toward you in making you alive together with Christ in his resurrection. And it comes to you now through the spirit of God who dwells within you. The spirit of God dwells within you. But you may ask, okay, but how can I appropriate this power? How can we really be strong in the Lord? Well, Paul's going to answer that here for us in verse 11. So let's look at verse 11. It says the following. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so this is an imperative here. Put on. Paul is exhorting these Ephesians, put on the whole armor. Put it on. So how can we be strong in the Lord? By putting on his armor. And whose armor is it, by the way? Is it our armor? No, it's God's armor. How much of the armor are we to put on? All of it. Paul's desire here is that we would be like a a Roman soldier fully clad for battle. He may have even had in mind, yeah, those Roman soldiers that he no doubt came in contact with. He wants us to take God's armor and to put it on. He wants us to be fully clad for the battle. But why? What's the big deal? Why all this armor talk? Look again at verse 11 and then at verse 12. He says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So look at verse 12 there where he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, this is why it's a big deal. You know, growing up, I tried to steer clear of too much wrestling because magically I'd find myself on the ground whenever I engaged in it. But if you've ever wrestled, you know that it's close combat. It's hand-to-hand. It's body-to-body grappling. It's intense. It's up close. It's dangerous. And then notice further in verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this is a different kind of wrestling, isn't it? It's against spiritual enemies. You know, and as I've looked at this passage, I've wondered, are we really grasping this? 
am, am I really grasping this? You know, thinking back to my opening story, okay? I'm at the door of my apartment. The kids are crying. My wife's doing her best, but she is exhausted and exasperated. I'm tired and sinfully frustrated. I step into the apartment. It's about to begin. Okay? So freeze the frame. Who's the enemy here? Look around in the picture. Who's the enemy in this situation? So often I'm looking to flesh and blood to be the enemy. But it's not my wife. It's not my children. It's not even me. I'm missing something. Our true enemy is an unseen enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual one. Now listen, in this passage we are focusing on spiritual enemies, but that's not to excuse our own sin. These spiritual forces of evil exploit the world's temptations and our flesh's deceitful desires. They're all working together. But our focus this morning is on our spiritual enemies. So this is the battle, friends. This is the war. The devil and his minions are real, and they are more powerful than we are. They're intent on our destruction. But let's be clear about one thing. The devil is also not God's equal. This is not an epic battle of good versus evil where either side could win or lose. No, God is the one who actually created this being we call the devil and his demons. God allows them to exist until his purposes are accomplished. And even more than that, God has already won the battle. The victory, the victor has already been crowned. So turn with me, will you, to Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. We'll read it together. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. It says the following. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, he's talking to Christians, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. So paradoxically, through his death, Jesus triumphed over the devil. The victory is his. And we now live in the in-between, between when his victory was first accomplished and when it will be finally consummated. God is bringing everything up under the headship of Christ. And the devil and his demons have no desire for this to happen. They're going to thrash and they're going to fight against this until the bitter end. And so that's where the battle comes in. But here is the glorious thing. God has disarmed Satan. And armed us. God has disarmed Satan. And armed us. Isn't that glorious? And so Paul goes on in verse 13. Read it with me in Ephesians 6. Verse 13. Therefore. Take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all. To stand firm. 
So because of the battle that we find ourselves in, Paul's adamant that we take up all of God's armor. We're in a battle. We must take it up. And the reason why is, is if you look in that verse, is so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So while in one sense this entire period that we live in can be called evil days, I believe that for each one of us there's also going to be certain days of our lives where the temptation and the battle is greater than others, when the fighting gets intense. And here in this verse, God wants us to have done everything, to have put on his whole armor, to have made every preparation so that in that day we will be able to withstand the attack, so that we'll be able to stand firm. Okay, but what exactly might some of these attacks look like? What would that evil day entail? What are the schemes or the wiles of the devil referred to in verse 11? Listen, the battle isn't out there as I said. It's right here. We're in the middle of it. It's happening all around us. It's happening to us. Guys, it's happening in our marriage, in our parent-child relationships. It's happening in our workplaces. Temptations to, to hate one another and to not walk submitted to the Spirit, to not reverence Christ. This is where the battle is. This is exactly where the temptations will come. And it's happening in our relationships with God and with one another. Temptations to turn from Him or to fight with each other. I could go on, read back through the book of Ephesians, and you can bet that at every point, that God is doing something, the spiritual forces of evil are direly opposed. But listen, they are fighting a losing battle. God has triumphed and will triumph in and through us. So that brings us to point two. Now that we've been informed about the nature of the war, Paul turns his attention to the weapons. Point two, the weapons. So let's look at Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 20. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul begins this second half here, and he says, Stand therefore. And this phrase, as commentator P.T. O'Brien says, It's the chief admonition of this passage. And in the light of the battle imagery used throughout, points to the stance of a soldier in combat, one who resolutely opposes the enemy. So this is what God is calling us to do, friends, to take our stand and to fight in this battle. We're not the ones who are going to go out and win the battle for the Lord, but we stand our ground and fight 
in light of the victory that God has already won for us. And listen, it is a spiritual battle. And correspondingly, God's armor is spiritual armor. Okay, so before we get into this, I want you to envision with me a Roman soldier in his home back in the first century. Suddenly the call comes. He's been called up to the battle. But he's not going to run out and try to fight in his pajamas. So he makes preparations. He brings out his armor, lays it out, and then begins to put it on in preparation for the fight. And his armor consists of defensive and offensive weapons. So he begins first with the defensive. So look again in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So if you're taking notes, let's call this first piece our gospel belt. Okay? So the soldier in his house, he's in his house, right? He looks down. The first thing he puts on is his belt. And for him, this was likely a leather apron which hung under his armor and protected his thighs. Not just like our skinny little belts that we wear. So in preparation for the battle, he straps this on. He he fastens it tight before he puts on his other armor. So in the same way, guys, God's truth is something that we should know well. And our lives should be affected by it. Friend, God's truth is found in His Word, the Bible. And and it's centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is, do you know His Word? Do you know His gospel? And has that impacted how you live your life? Let's let God's truth be, figuratively speaking, fastened around our waist as a belt. So that when the battle comes to our doorstep, we aren't looking around, fumbling, trying to get our belt on, trying to figure out what's true and what's not and how to live in light of it. But having fastened it on, we're ready for the battle. You know, I've found that that as I go about my life each week, the more time that I spend preparing for the battle by reading God's word and praying, that the more able I am to take up the rest of the armor. In a real way, this undergirds all the rest of it. So we put on our gospel belt, the first piece, by believing and acting upon gospel truth. We put on our gospel belt by believing and acting upon gospel truth. So back to the end of verse 14. Look with me. Paul moves on. He says, Stand therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we can call this our gospel breastplate. See where I'm going? (laughs) So we're back in the Roman soldier's house. He's fastened on his belt, and now he picks up his breastplate and he straps it on. It's a piece of armor covering his chest and his back to protect it against blows and against arrows. So in a similar way, we must put on God's breastplate of righteousness. If we're going to be able to do battle, this must be in place. And one reason why this is so important for us is that our enemy, our spiritual enemy, instead of trying to strike us physically with arrows or blows from a sword, He accuses our conscience, telling us that we're not righteous, but that we're guilty sinners who are going to hell. That our salvation isn't real, but that we are lost in our sins. So one of the ways that we put on 
This gospel breastplate is by knowing and by treasuring the objective truth that though we are sinners deserving death and hell, God and his mercy has fully and freely justified us through faith alone in Jesus Christ and has clothed us with his righteousness. We stand accepted before God. So friend, Are you trusting in Christ as your sole mean of right standing with God? And are you, in light of that, living a life that increasingly reflects it? I'll tell you that that I need this gospel breastplate every morning when I wake up. That's one place I definitely need it. You know, it's as if while I've been asleep, the spiritual forces of evil have conspired, and their attack is unleashed as soon as the alarm clock goes off. I'm bombarded with worries about the day or faithless and selfish thoughts. As I crack open my Bible, past sin is brought to mind, and a general unworthiness permeates my thoughts. Could God love me? Is this real? I just want to do what I want. The battle is intense in these moments for me, and I need the gospel breastplate at that moment to remember God's acceptance of me in Christ and to draw near to him. We need our gospel breastplate. And so we put on the gospel breastplate by appropriating and living out our gospel righteousness. And so continuing in verse 15, look with me. Paul keeps going. Stand therefore, in verse 14, picking back up, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So here we have our gospel boots. So back to our soldier. He's continuing to dress for battle. After fastening on his belt and then strapping on his breastplate, he begins to put on his shoes. And for him, this would have been a half boot that would have been especially helpful for long marches and for a solid stance preventing his foot from sliding. And so, friends, if we're going to be able to stand firm in our battle, then it will only be by having the readiness of the gospel of peace as shoes for our feet. If you'll remember in Ephesians 2, we saw how in Christ God made peace between us and himself and us and one another. So we put on our gospel boots by uh, appropriating the gospel, by believing it and resting in it, and then by proclaiming it to one another and to a dying world. And what these gospel boots do is that they give us a readiness to do battle. We are ready to love one another in the midst of conflict because of the peace brought by the gospel. We are ready to preach the gospel to one another and encourage one another in it. We are ready to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard it. In the midst of war, we will be preaching peace. Instead of hating our enemies, we will be ready to love them. So we need these gospel boots, don't we? As we spend time with unbelieving friends or family, we need the fearless readiness the gospel provides to proclaim it to them. When suddenly tensions flare up between us and our spouses or other Christian friends, if we have our boots on, our gospel boots on, then we're prepared for the battle. We're ready to forgive and to love one another. So to put on our gospel boots means to be deeply affected 
by and ready to proclaim and love and light of gospel peace. So moving to verse 16, Paul continues. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So here we have our gospel shield. So our soldier, he's, he's clothed himself with his armor, and he's about to pick up his shield. And for him, it would have been quite large. It would have been a large wooden rectangle about four feet wide, uh, four feet tall, and two feet wide. And before the battle, the soldier would wet the leather front of it. It had leather on the front. And the reason why he would do this is because in the enemy army, there would have been archers. And these archers would draw their arrows. Usually, uh, they had some, some fiber on the end of it, and they would dip it in pitch, and they would set it on fire, and they would shoot it at, the, at their enemies. And so the Romans needed these huge shields to keep them from getting hit by the arrows. And they needed the leather on the front to be wet in hopes that it would quench the arrow's flames and keep his shield from bursting into flames and throwing them into confusion. And so we're told that in all circumstances, we're to take up the shield of faith. So although we need God's armor, all of God's armor at every point, Paul gives special emphasis here to having the shield of faith ready to use whenever the enemy attacks come. And I think it's because, just as with uh, the Romans' enemy archers firing at him, so our spiritual enemies are constantly launching flaming darts at us. According again to P.T. O'Brien, he says the following about the the, the flaming darts. He says, here... The burning arrows depict, in highly metaphorical language, every kind of attack launched by the devil and his host against the people of God. They are as wide-ranging as the insidious wiles that promote them and include not only every kind of temptation to ungodly behavior, doubt, and despair, but also external assaults, such as persecution or false teaching. Paul's expression conveys the sense of extreme danger. The forces of the evil one are incredibly powerful, and left to our own devices, we would certainly fail. But these flaming arrows cannot harm those whose trust and confidence are in the Lord and in his mighty power. They're able to resist and overcome these satanic attacks. So friends, to take up the gospel shield is to lay hold of and believe the promises of God on our behalf. Even when everything around us and within us would speak otherwise, it's saying, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I cast myself on you and what you've said in your word. And by doing so, we will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Isn't that a wonderful promise? So to take up the gospel shield is to walk by gospel faith. To take up the gospel shield is to walk by gospel faith. So let's keep going. Looking to verse 17, Paul says, And take the helmet of salvation. So this is our gospel helmet. So now the soldier, he's on his way out the door, but there are a few pieces left for him to put on. His helmet hangs on the wall. And for him, this was most likely a bronze helmet equipped with cheek pieces that was necessary to protect his head. So he grabs it, 
he straps it on. There's no way that we can go into battle without our helmets, friends. And this helmet, this spiritual helmet, is the helmet of salvation. And its present aspect is emphasized here. So to take our gospel helmet is to lay hold of the fact that we have been saved. We have been rescued from death, wrath, and bondage. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. He has won the battle. And it will be consummated on the final day. So we can fight with confidence as we appropriate this great salvation more and more fully and live in light of it. And we need this gospel helmet, friends. Oh, we need it. There will be days, weeks, maybe even months where the battle seems unwinnable. The onslaughts just seem to keep coming. If we are taking the gospel helmet, we'll be able to endure in hope during the darkest nights and during the bleakest seasons. So to take our gospel helmet, friends, is to live confidently in light of our gospel salvation. To take our gospel helmet is to live confidently in light of our gospel salvation. And so continuing on in verse 17, Paul continues, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So here's our gospel sword. Our soldier is fully clothed. He has all of his defensive weapons in place, and he's ready to do battle. But if he's really going to be effective, well, he needs offensive weapons. His sword hangs near the door. He takes it. And for him, this was no long sword, but it was a shorter weapon used for close combat. And so I believe that through this term, that Paul's letting us know, as when he used the word wrestling in verse 12, that the fight is going to be close upon us. And he tells us exactly what this sword is, what this spiritual sword is. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is none other than the Word of God. And so there's a special emphasis here on the speaking forth of the Word, of the proclamation of the Word and the power of the Spirit. To take this sword is to know God's Word and to have it laid up in our hearts for effective use in the moment of danger. So it can include preaching the word, as I'm doing now, speaking the word to one another, using it in times of temptation to say, no, here is the truth of God. And it can even be uh, used in evangelistic context. It's God's word wielded by God's spirit, spoken by God's people, that can repel spiritual forces of evil and can pierce men's hearts. So the question here for us is, do we know God's word? Once again, do we know God's word? Do we have it stored up in our hearts? Are we able to remember where passages or verses are located? We are going to need this in the battle. And so, friends, taking our gospel sword is to know and proclaim the gospel word. Taking our gospel sword is to know and proclaim the gospel word. And so finally, our Roman soldier, he's armed and he's ready for battle. He's leaving his house. 
However, for the Christian soldier, one weapon yet remains. Paul now leaves behind here in verses 18 through 20 the armor imagery because as soldiers in a spiritual battle, we have another weapon that doesn't parallel to physical armor. And that, my friends, is the weapon of prayer. And this isn't just some throwaway add-on at the end of our passage. Prayer gets the most attention here, and it's to pervade all of our spiritual warfare. It's implied in all the things that I've been talking about so far. And so read verses 18 through 20 with me. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so friends, get this, standing firm and praying are inseparable. There's no way, there's no way that we can put on, take up, and appropriate all of God's armor if we are not in communication with Him, reading His Word, and praying to Him. And then Paul himself asked for prayer here at the end. The mighty apostle, he's not above the battle. In many ways, he was on the tip of the spear of God's light penetrating into the domain of darkness. And so Paul needed prayer for boldness and help to preach God's gospel. And friends, we need prayer. We need to be prayed for. We need to pray for one another. And there are four uses of the word all here in verse 18 that really drive its importance home. Look with me, just notice it. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times and all ways, praising prayer to God, confessing prayer to God, thanksgiving prayer to God, and particularly supplicating prayer to God. I love how John Piper describes prayer. If you've ever read his book, Desiring God, you may remember this. It's not to be a domestic intercom, but a wartime walkie-talkie. It's not to be a domestic intercom, but a wartime walkie-talkie. I.e., its purpose isn't primarily for us to use every once in a while so that God can make us more comfortable or serve us when we need something. Its purpose is to communicate with our victorious commander, to ask him for help on behalf of others, to band together and ask him to move, protect, and strengthen, to supply strength for the battle, to build us and others up in gospel truth, in gospel righteousness, in gospel peace, in gospel faith, in gospel salvation, and in the gospel word. We need prayer for all the pieces of the armor. And so, friends, here is the call to vigilance. God is calling us to stay alert. Just as the Roman soldier fully clad had to be ready for battle, we must stay alert and pray. We must persevere in praying. The battle is going on all around us. When you wake up in the morning, pray and stay alert. The battle is raging. 
When you are at work, pray and stay alert. The flaming darts are in the air. When you get home, pray and stay alert. The enemy is upon you. Pray for your children. Pray for your friends. Pray for your neighbors. Please pray for your pastors. Pray, pray, pray. Listen, friends. God is calling us to stand and fight in his strength. And we can't even begin to fight if we've not put on the armor, if we've not appropriated his strength. But listen, if you're here and you have not repented of your sins and believed the gospel of Jesus, I have to tell you, friend, that none of this is for you. You're not in a battle. You're in prison. Captive to the forces of evil. Now, you you don't think you're in a prison because that's part of the battle. But the rescuer, Jesus, has come. Trust in him, friend. Receive his armor and engage in the battle. For in doing so, your soul will be saved. And you will receive the hope of eternal life. So I plead with you. Trust him. And for the rest of you, I want to leave you today with a sense of hope. And I want to leave you with a sense of vigilance. Because when we talk about this battle, can we, are we not prone to fear? So I want to leave you with hope. I want to leave you with a sense of vigilance. So to those of you, dear friends, who have fought and fought and you're weary, you know the battle's going on and you're tired. Listen, your hope is sure. God has won the victory in the death and resurrection of Christ. And listen to this. His power is available to refresh you and grant you to persevere. So don't give up. Keep fighting. Maybe you started out fighting with the armor that God provides, but by and by, you started fighting in your own strength. Lean completely on God, my friend. Take some time to refresh yourself through reading God's word and prayer. Freshly laying hold of his strength and his promises. There is hope for you. There is hope. Abundant hope for you. To my other friends who haven't really engaged in the battle, or at least you're not aware of it very much, I pray that God would use this message to wake you up, to make you vigilant. One way to figure out if you're losing the battle is to ask yourself how aware you are of it. For our enemy loves for us to think that we have no problems, that there is no battle, that we're doing just fine. So are you here at church? Do you maybe even pray often? But are you in settled conflict with your spouse? Maybe your child, someone else. Friend, you're blind to the battle there. Fight on that front. Fight to love your spouse. Fight to love your child. If you're not already, spend some time reading God's word and praying to him. This is front and center in this passage. I challenge you to do this. Even for one week, just one week, you'll see an immediate difference. 
So remember the story that I was telling you while I was standing at the door of my house? So here's what was really happening there. As I went to the door, I was standing there armorless, unaware that I was already beginning to lose the battle by approaching my house with sinful laziness and lack of concern for my family, unaware that a battle could await me on the other side of the door. As the door opens, the attack is unleashed, and I'm left fumbling, trying, trying to fight and get my armor on and, fi- and fight at the same time, fumbling around. Friends, I needed to have been aware of the battle beforehand and thought ahead of time and put on God's armor by freshly appropriating God's strength through all the means that I've talked about. Instead, I went in blind and armorless. Guys, we all need to put on the armor afresh as we enter each day, as we approach every situation. Let's put on God's armor, friends. Let's arm ourselves for the battle. So let's stand and fight to walk worthy of the gospel. Let's stand and fight to put off the old man and to put on the new. Let's stand and fight to walk in love, not lust. Let's stand and fight to walk in wisdom, being filled with the Spirit. Let us stand and fight for our family relationships. Guys, let us stand and fight in God's strength. Amen? let me pray for us. Worship team, come on up. Oh, Lord, I pray for myself and for my friends here. You would help us, God. You would help us. You would help us to stand and fight, Lord. That you would give us vigilance that you would give us hope, Lord. Help us to see your mighty power. Just help us to see how great you are, Lord, and how much you love us. Oh, because when we see that, we understand how great and available your power is. We're filled with hope. We're filled with vigilance when we see that, Lord. So help us, God. Help us to wear your armor. And help us to do it in the midst of our everyday lives, God. As we go home right now, as we proceed about our day next week, Lord, and and with our families, with our friends, with our co-workers, oh God, help us to think ahead and prepare for the battle. Oh Lord, it's in Christ alone that our hope is found. He is our strength, Lord. So we praise you and thank you. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.